we, um, we're going to spend most of our time this morning in the last verse of chapter 15. Uh, we're going to race a little bit through uh, verses 35 uh, to 57, um, but verse 58 is kind of where I hope we're going to land the plane, and um, we've been talking, uh, Paul's been talking, and we've been talking about what Paul's been talking about about the resurrection uh, for the past uh, two weeks. If you haven't had an opportunity or you haven't been here, I would really encourage you uh, to go back and listen uh, to those sermons. Uh, It's been a powerful, powerful time. Uh, We have looked at things like, in verses 1 through 11, the fact of the resurrection, Um, that the resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel, and therefore it's central to our lives as Christ followers. If you're in Christ this morning, this is massive, massive importance to us. That Christ went to the cross. This is verses 3 through 8. Uh, we're kind of doing a little bit of a recap, refire our minds about the importance of this. That Christ went to the cross to make a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, to credit his righteousness to us, to take on the wrath of God for his justice for mankind's sins, to make us sons and daughters of God. Brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ, co-heirs in the kingdom of God. These are things that happened as a result of the resurrection. Randy talked about this, that Jesus didn't come just to give us a little bit of help along the way. He came to accomplish for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. And that has some implications. We talked about these implications last week. He didn't just come to make the sacrifice to go to the cross to die, but he was buried and he rose again on the third day. Things like he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he lives today to intercede for you and I. Go read Hebrews 7. That he has given us the Holy Spirit as a seal and a deposit of what is to come, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. What is to come? Go read John 14 if you want to read about that. And as a result, we await his return. Go read Revelation 7 if you want to read something about that. A day where never again will there be hunger Never again will there be thirst. The sun will not beat upon us, no scorching heat. Christ will be at the center of his throne, and he will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Sounds awesome. Let's go. Yeah? Paul's saying, yeah, I mean, this is amazing. You need to think about this, even just where this is landing in this letter, the fact that this is at the end. Paul is saying in verse 1 and 2 of 15, and he's going to re-say it in 58. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I have preached to you. This is the gospel you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. This is verse 2. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. We talked about that over the last few weeks. That if the resurrection, if the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ did not happen, then our faith is useless. What we just did this morning in this baptism, it's useless. You're wasting your time being here if that didn't happen. We're still in our sins, verse 17 says. And 15, 19 says that if we just hope in Christ for this life, that we're supposed to be pitied more than all men. All of what Paul has been saying up until this point is building to these few things that we're going to talk about this morning. All of these truths are leading us to something. And it's this. this is, maybe this isn't the best way to say it, but this is the way it fits in my head. The practical resurrection 
principle in action, and it's this. We were made for something more. All of our art, all of our films, everything you read, I would wager to say almost everything we come across in society is trying to scratch and claw at explaining that. Something that you know that keeps you up late at night. There's got to be more than this. Randy said last week that Jesus didn't just come to die to save you from hell. And I would say that part of what we're going to talk about this morning is nor did he come to die to keep you as the clothing store forever 21. I certainly hope not. I certainly hope I'm not going to stay forever 21. I know there are probably 21-year-olds in here who are much uh, wiser than I was. I was an idiot at 21. Um, Paul is he's trying to drive this truth home. And we've talked about this, Romans 8.10, that something already has happened for us in spirit. If Christ is in you, this is Romans 8.10, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So there's life happening. Spirit, where the Spirit is, there is life. Randy had the pitcher of water. He filled the pitcher last week. If you didn't see it, you should have seen it. It was awesome. I have a hose. I'm kidding. I don't have the hose. I did want to bring it in. Uh, But he talked about it. John 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He didn't come just to clean the glass. He came to fill the glass, and he's filled the glass with his Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit if you're in Christ. So that's the already portion of it. What we're going to talk about today, what we're getting to, and what Paul's talking about is the not yet portion of it, the physical. Go to verse 37 of chapter 15, and it says really clearly here, uh, it says, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. If we were to unpack everything that's being said in 35 to 41, he's talking about something. He's saying a seed has been planted. The spirit has been planted, and something to come is going to come. And he's trying to unpack that, and we'll get to that here in a second. But 2 Corinthians 5, write that down. This is another passage I would encourage you to spend some time in. Let me see. This is another part where Paul's writing about the same idea on our heavenly dwellings. So 2 Corinthians 5, 1. It says, now we know that if we have an earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, so our bodies are destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. Here we go. Starting to feel the tension, the already and the not yet. We groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. We do not wish to be clothed, but, or unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is life. Now it is God who has made us, listen to the strength of the sentence, made us for this very purpose. If you're wondering why you exist, here we go. And has given us the spirit as a deposit and a guarantee of what is to come. Wow. Did you know that if you're in Christ, that that's inside of you this morning? That's dangerous. 
That's significant to be out of touch with. I remember dating long distance. Anybody dated long distance in here? Yeah? Huge mistake. I'm kidding. <laughs> it is. Don't waste your time. I'm kidding. Somebody's like, Floyd is sick, but I love him. I remember driving. I knew that the relationship was solid. We were dating. We loved each other. Awesome. But you wanted to be there. You get in that car late on Friday night after work, and you just drive, and you drive into the wee hours of the morning. Why? Because what you knew was true in spirit, you wanted in physical presence. I want to see that person. I'm driving there. I don't care what it takes. Stupid hours of the night. Here we go. We want to be in the presence of it. You and I, we are unwaiting, or we are waiting for the unfolding of a mystery. My new spirit, this Holy Spirit that's living inside of me, joined with my new glorious body. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, that you and I will be transformed into the likeness of Christ's glorious body. What? This is not just a spruced up version. This is not forever 21. This is something entirely different. It's like when the iPhone came out. I don't care what anybody says. When you first got your iPhone, it's like, no, this ain't a phone. I know you can make a phone call with it, but it ain't a phone. Someone took a computer and made it this big. And now it's in my pocket, and I can do a ton of things. And everybody else was trying to come out with, I don't know, Sprint's got their own version of it now, and I know it's probably pretty good. But all I'm saying is, you remember the clunky LG things that were like, hey, the touchscreen, it was a whole new thing. Still a phone, but something totally different. It's like the Matrix. Remember when we saw the Matrix? It's like, oh, wow. It's like what Paul's saying here is like trying to explain the Matrix to somebody who's only seen Charlie Chaplin films, like silent film going to the Matrix. So not only are we waiting for something, which creates a ton of problems for us, because we in Western America are pretty horrible at waiting. In fact, we're taught we don't have to. In fact, if we are waiting for something, it's probably not worth waiting for, and there's probably a shortcut. Well, this is going to burst that bubble pretty seriously. Because we're waiting for something that we have a hard time grasping. We have a hard time getting our minds around it. What we are going to experience in eternity is going to bear elements of familiarity. There are going to be things that are going to be familiar, and we're not going to get into all of this today. So there's going to be some continuity. But, but we do ourselves a disservice by just saying things like, you know, heaven's going to be like being on the boat all the time with my friends and some cold ones. <laughs> Unlimited cold ones in heaven. <laughs> we do. We do ourselves a disservice. We don't help ourselves understand the significance of what he's preparing us for by, by trying to pull it down and grapple with it in some way like that. Where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit some things here, and, and this, is, this is true. We don't have an attention span. My mom, she went and saw Inception. She left after the first 10 minutes. And I'm like, wow. So what would you get out of it, Mom? Uh, but she said really quickly. I mean, it's, it's a perfect textbook example um, of why most people don't even study the Bible. Uh, ooh, wow, we just went from here to here. Uh, and it's this, I didn't understand it. And so, because I don't understand it, 
I don't have any attention span for it. And so it's not significant to me. I only give myself to something that I can understand and I can understand almost immediately. Well, get ready to get your mind blown by Paul the Apostle. Verse 40. These are some of the things that are going to change. And we're not going to even unpack these things, but just feel the weight of these things. Earthly bodies to heavenly bodies. And he says that the heavenly bodies are of a different level of splendor. Entirely different. 42. Perishable to imperishable. Really? Imperishable. We don't have anything like that here. Dishonor to glory. Ooh, we could spend a whole morning talking about that shift. Weakness to power, verse 44. 45, natural to spiritual. From natural to supernatural. 49, we bore the likeness of the earthly man, Adam. We will bear the likeness of the man from heaven, Christ. 53, from mortal to immortal. 55 and 56, no more death, no more sin, no more law. And in 57, he does something really good for us. He reminds us, we have victory in Christ. Christ did all of this. This is what is going to happen. This isn't an if. It, it's happening. We don't know when it's going to happen. He calls it a mystery. He says it's going to happen in a twinkle of an eye. But he's saying th- these are the marks of what's about to go down or what is going to go down for those of you who are in Christ. David Pryor in his commentary, this made me laugh because I'm like, well, what the heck am I getting up here to do this morning? He said, in this whole discussion, Paul is struggling to describe the indescribable. So I'm not going to try. He quotes another guy named George Eldon Ladd who says, who can imagine a body without weakness, without infection, without tiredness, without sickness or death? This is a body utterly unknown to an earthly historical experience. It is an order of existence in which the laws of nature no longer obtain. In fact, when one puts his mind to it, it is quite unimaginable. Quite unimaginable. How often do you spend time thinking about this? Giving your mind over to something that you can barely even grasp. I mean, not even just this area, in general, but specifically this area. We don't do it. But I challenge you to think that that we need to. I would challenge you to think that we are awaiting what what he's just described, perishable to imperishable, dishonor to glory, weakness to power. We are awaiting the deepest desire of our hearts. And Paul is saying that that desire, Ecclesiastes 3 talks about its eternity in your hearts. This thing that you have the first fruits of through the Holy Spirit It is a desire and its fulfillment far exceeds your imagination or your perceived hopes. It's more than a pontoon boat and a cooler of cold ones forever. We talk about this verse all the time, Colossians 1.27, the riches of this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We talk about what does it mean to experience that. Well, hoping for something, if Romans 8.22 is true, it says the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth up into the present time. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan outwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We're pregnant. The Holy Spirit. Men, it's the only time we'll get to experience it. Women, I'm sorry. You could probably teach us a lot about this. What does it mean to be pregnant with something? It changes everything. Changes how you eat, changes how you sleep, changes how you make decisions, how much you have to rest. Why? Because you're hoping for this thing that's going to be born, and you're waiting for it. It takes it out of you. Well, this creates a great problem, and this is going to land us in verse 58. Quite a tension. It brings into question our attention span, which I think uh, USA Today said the average attention span of a male is 23 minutes. They must not have interviewed any married women <laughs> to get that statistic because it's much shorter than that. <laughs> that must have been an all-male interview. We don't have an attention span. Our ability to wait, what do we do while, while we wait? How do you wait for something that you're pregnant with? You have so much hope. Maybe you, don't even, maybe you can't even begin to get your head around the weight of the desire you have. So let's read verse 58. Because Paul takes a pretty sharp turn here. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Therefore. Therefore is a powerful word in Scripture. That is to say, because of all of the truth of what I've just told you, all of the things, that list I just read, this is what it should look like. This is the posture you should take. This is how you should move forward. Stand firm in this. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because that labor is not labor in vain. So, is this what's happening here? All right, awesome. Christ has done it up until this point. He's accomplished it all, and he's set things up for future. He's up there interceding and making me a house. But now it's time for me to pull the sled down here. All right, he's giving me my task. Time to stand firm. Is that what Paul's saying here? How in the world do you and I stand firm? Well, the first thing is this. It's small, but it's in here. You don't stand alone. He says, my dear brothers, kind of could be seen as a little bit of a throwaway, but I would encourage us that it's not. We don't wait well when we wait alone. Some of you have lots of friends in this room, but live your life almost entirely isolated. People don't really know you. You don't let them know you. Maybe you don't even know you. But Paul's saying something here. He's saying, brothers, there's a community. <laughs> it's what this baptism represents. You ever waited for a roller coaster? Have you ever ridden a roller coaster by yourself? Who's ridden a roller coaster by themselves? Is it as fun as riding a roller coaster with a great friend? No, of course not. It stinks. Why? Because you want to share the experience with somebody. 
And what is what a roller coaster maze? You know, you're kind of waiting. We're playing games like throwing quarters up against the curb to see who can get it closer. But you're you're watching the roller coaster. They they wind you underneath it. Why? To just pass the time? No. To build anticipation for what you're about to do together. This is why we get here. This is part of why we do this. <laughs> we regularly gather together. We worship small groups, friendships, relationships to remind one another of the truth, to encourage one another, support one another, suffer and groan alongside of one another as we raise twins, rebuke one another. What? Call each other back to the truth of what it is that we're made for and we're waiting for. You remember in Inception when Maul is in the uh, windowsill and she thinks she's in the dream, but she's not? She decides to jump, and DiCaprio is sitting there screaming, don't do it. That's community. That's what we do. We sit in the windowsill, and we scream at each other. This is, this is what you were made for. You're not, it's not a dream. This is what you're made for. We call one another back to gospel reality. The gospel totem. Spin it. For one another, because sometimes you don't know if you're in the dream. Maul dabbled in her dreams and questions so long they became a reality to her. And it killed her. So we don't stand alone. The second thing, and this is an important thing, because this is where it takes it out of our ability to stand firm. We're not the firm ones. You must know and you must remain in the truth. What's firm is not you, it's the truth you stand in. I'm going to try to illustrate this. This is going back to what he talked about there in verse 1 and 4. Hold firmly to the gospel I preached to you that you received and took your stand in. John 15 talks about it when it says, Remain in me and I in you, and apart from me you can do nothing. The word, these Greek words here, they're interesting. To stand firm actually is translated better to be steadfast. And when it says let nothing move you, it's really saying be immovable. Both of those words, and I won't try to pronounce them in the Greek, they actually mean to sit. Not to stand, but to sit. To be sedentary. To be firm. To be settled. It's probably the best word in there for our minds today. To be settled. To have your mind settled on this. Not to be moved from the place. Has anybody been to, done a ropes course? Pamper pole? Anybody familiar with a pamper pole? It's a pole that sticks out of the ground. It's about 35, 40 feet tall. It has a trapeze that's connected to a cord away from it. And it's basically you kind of climb up these rungs and then you eventually have to kind of get yourself up on top of the pole and then you have to stand on the pole. There's nothing to hold on to. You stand on the pole and you leap for the trapeze and the goal is to grab the trapeze. Most of the time, you don't make it. There's no ropes. A lot of people, I'm kidding. There is ropes. <laughs> uh, but it, it's crazy. If you've ever done it, it's nuts. And uh, if you're standing there below, you, you literally push on the pole, and it's solid as a rock. Like, you can't move it. It's a giant telephone pole. But when you get on top of the pole, when you're standing on top of the pole, I mean, it's like rubber band leg. You're just like, uh, I did it at a Young Life camp. I'm just like, bam. 
wow, 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 wow. I mean, you're all over the place, and you literally feel like the pole's about to come out of the ground. I don't have a clue what I'm talking about right now. I'm kidding. No, it's sturdy at the base. But when you get on top, it appears less stable. But I challenge you this. It only appears to be less stable. It's not any less stable than it was when it was when you were down on the ground, touching it on the ground. It's your position on it, where you stand on it, that makes it feel less stable. But it's, it's not any less stable. It's where you're at. 1 Corinthians is a letter responding to lots of questions that these people have asked Paul, marriage, lawsuits, immorality. Now, we're, we're kind of, you, see, you guys see, hopefully you can follow my mind in this. Uh, the questions are getting more serious. <laughs> now we're questioning the validity of the resurrection of Christ. Questions aren't bad and aren't wrong. This is probably one of the best places in Nashville to ask them. But when you live in your questions for too long without returning to something solid, without climbing back down the pole, he's saying the resurrection is the base. <laughs> this is solid ground. This is true. When you stay and live life on top of the pole, after a while, it gets so wobbly, you can begin to question anything and everything. Here's a modern version of this. Why is this difficult thing happening to me? Why doesn't God give me what I want? That's a question at the top of the poll. It's kind of like the question when they're saying at the very beginning of this passage, how are, how are bodies raised? How does this all work? Life at the top of the pole feels unstable. Everything begins to feel that way. But here's what happens. Here's the truth in that question. Why, why won't God give me what I want? Why is this difficult thing happening to me? I can tell you what it isn't. Because Romans 8 tells me that. Here's how you climb down the pole. Romans 8 tells me that God is working for the good of all, all things for the good of those who love him. That's climbing down the pole. <laughs> coming back to what's solid. Coming back to what's true. He's not, he's not, Wow, I said he's not, might be. That was horrible English. He is working it for the good. Not maybe, he is. Return to the base. Ryan Adams has a song. When you're young, you get sad. When you're young, you get sad. See, you get high. See, you get high. See, you get high. <laughs> it's a great little twangy song. It's the same premise. When you're young, when you're immature, when you don't hold to the base, when you don't return to the bottom of the pole, you get sad. Sadness is just, it's forgetting the truth, forgetting who you are in Christ. And so what do you got to do? You got to get high. Climb the pole. Get out there on the edge. Do something that's going to make me feel something. It's a paradox, but Paul is stating it clearly. To stand firm, you got to sit. It's like trying to move your giant dog when it doesn't want to go to the vet and it's laid down real low. <laughs> you can't pick the thing up. You got to sit in the truth of the gospel to be settled in your mind about it. 
Life is more than what I can perceive here and now. And the desire that we often reduce to something tangible or haveable or that desire that you kill altogether is really about this future redemption of our bodies that will match what has happened for you and I in spirit. Hebrews 12 is another great passage we can look at that talks about this. It says, throw off everything that hinders us. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. I got to kind of wrap things up. Well, why is this so hard? I mean, we've talked about it. Beyond the difficulty of waiting, beyond the difficulty of, man, it's hard to hold my attention on something I can't fully grasp. And we haven't even gotten into the fact that Satan loves to call you to the top of the pole and say, jump for the trapeze because the trapeze is what you really want. If you get it, it's what's going to make your life full. That redemption of the body thing, it's not that big of a deal. Well, Paul gives us some direction about what type of labor that we are to be doing at the end of 58. And he says this, he says, always give yourself to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What in the world is the work of the Lord? I wish we had 10 hours to unpack this. It deserves it. I don't have the attention span to preach that long. I'm kidding. What is the work of the Lord? John 6, I would encourage you to go read this. John 6, Jesus is teaching uh, some of his disciples. And they're coming over, trying to track him down. And he says uh, in verse 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. What is the work of the Lord? It is to believe in the one he has sent. Believe in the one he has sent. To sit in the truth of that. Jesus goes on to describe himself as the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never go thirsty. Folks, most of our days are spent on vain labor, working for food that spoils, deceived by lies that what we really want is to be had here on this earth, this broken and fallen place that's under the power of sin and death that he is going to destroy one day. We labor giving ourselves over to the pursuit of things that we believe will give us the deepest desires of our hearts when he has given us himself. And we're going to preach about this all fall in Second Peter. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've got what you want. You've got the first fruits of it. Feed on that. Paul is saying, hold your attention to this truth. Jesus is life. Feed on Christ. It is the only productive labor if you are a believer. It is the only labor that is not vain. It is the only labor that will satisfy your deepest longings. Give yourself fully, he says to this. Abound in this. So we have to ask two questions. 
If you're in Christ this morning, what do you give yourself fully to? I want you to ask that. What do you give yourself fully to? Is it defeating on Christ? Are you walking hand in hand with someone in this room getting ready for the roller coaster? And if you're not in Christ, are you sure the thing that you're giving yourself fully to is really going to deliver? Going to take you from perishable to imperishable? From dishonor to glory? What makes you so sure? What history are you basing that decision on? We're basing it on the fact of the resurrection. Every gospel account. Let me pray. Lord, this is hard to get our heads around. And Lord, um, oftentimes I live my life um, on the edge of the pole. Um, swimming in questions. I even find my identity in those questions sometimes, Lord. Um, unwilling to, to climb down and, and, and sit in the, in the just very, very simple but powerful, the most powerful truth the universe has ever seen. That your death and resurrection is real, Lord, and that you have accomplished something for us in spirit and will accomplish and are accomplishing something for us in flesh that we can't even imagine, Lord. Give us the faith and the grace to fix our minds on that, Lord, this morning. Explode our imaginations, Lord. Take us to the absolute realm of our imaginative capacity. Um, Captivate our hearts and minds, Lord, and protect us from all of the lies from all of the dreams and all of the things that say that it's not really true. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.